Welcome to Homeschool Your Way, the upbeat, open-minded podcast that informs and affirms your choices about your kids' education. We'll provide a buffet of ideas to inspire you to homeschool your way, because your way is the best way. All of the content on the Homeschool Your Way podcast is provided for informational purposes only and should not be taken as medical or legal advice. The views expressed by the hosts or guests of the show are not necessarily endorsed by Bookshop. Welcome to Homeschool Your Way. I'm Jana Cook, your host and Bookshark's community manager. As a homeschool mom of three with two 17-year-olds that are juniors, this topic is really pressing in our household. We're going to be talking about what homeschoolers need to know about college. And my guest is an expert in these things. Brad Baldridge has created Taming the High Cost of College. You can find it online with a .com. You can also search for his seminars and he's a fellow podcaster. So let me introduce Brad Baldridge. Hi, great for having me. Brad, I am nervous. I am nervous because I feel like, let's just jump right in, I have probably missed some deadlines, missed the boat. My girls are juniors in high school, and we are now just starting to really be intentional about talking about colleges and the cost of college. So before you talk me off the ledge, I'd like you just to introduce yourself and let our audience know where they can find you on social media. All right. So yeah. My name is Brad Baldridge. I'm a, I spend a lot of time working on various college areas and I can be primarily the website. Um, I have a little bit out there on Facebook as well under um, Brad Baldridge and Taming the High Cost of College and YouTube. I'm going to be launching a YouTube channel hopefully in the next couple of months. Great. Well, I think the first question that probably people would love answered is how did you get involved in taming the high cost of high college. Yeah. So I'm a financial advisor. So I work with families about retirement and saving and investing and that type of stuff. And I realized that college was one of the big challenges that a lot of families were up against and kind of a confluence of events, right? It's been getting more and more expensive. It's more and more kids are going and it's a bigger deal now where it has been derailing financial plans because people didn't realize what it was going to cost or they didn't find the low cost option. They ended up signing for major loans and blowing up their retirement or or those types of things. So the more I got into it, the more I realized that there are a lot of things you can do, but it isn't clear, you know, which things will work for which types of families. And I realized there was a lot of value to add by helping families understand the whole process and leverage the process to their advantage instead of just stumbling through it. And it truly is a process. It's almost like this black hole that people know is out there. And they know that one day, more than likely, they're going to be stepping into it. And they have some reference if they have gone to college. But like you said, things have changed dramatically since probably a parent now looking for their children when they went and what their parents had to deal with. So as you come in and you are talking with people who are, I imagine, frantic, right? Because now all of a sudden, we thought we had a plan. And with inflation, with the cost of higher education, this this plan that we were just sailing and felt it was a smooth road is now a giant cliff that we're getting ready to jump off of. So as that very person I just described, 
-hmm. I think maybe we start with timing. When is the best time for parents, homeschool parents and parents just in general, to start thinking about college? Right. Yeah. So I would recommend sophomore year of high school is a good time to really buckle down and start trying to figure out specific plans. Now, certainly if you've got a two-year-old at home or something like that, you can plan for college in the let's set up a savings or let's do some budgeting and that kind of thing. I would call that early stage planning where you don't know the college, you don't know a lot of details, you don't know what your two-year-old is going to major in, et cetera, et cetera. Where, but once you start getting you know, freshman, sophomore, junior year of high school, now it's becoming real. You realize that your student is likely college bound or not. You know that maybe they're starting to think about majors and careers and and it's much more real. Um, so as you mentioned, you've got a junior and you're feeling already behind. Um, to prevent that, I encourage families to you know jump into it sophomore or even freshman year. The challenge is most families are trying to figure out high school the freshman year. So I'll let you let you off on the freshman year and then maybe jump right in sophomore year. And then with homeschool, of course, maybe the years don't matter as much, but two or three years out is, I think, is important for most families to really start digging in and understanding. Because there's things that parents can do, and you don't really need your student to participate. Like, will we qualify for need-based aid? How does merit aid work? Do we have a savings plan? Is it effective? You know, Should we be doing more or less or different? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. And then there's the things that you actually do with the student. You know, they need to hopefully figure out what they want to be when they grow up. But then, in addition to that, you're trying to figure out um, what kind of schools you might be interested in. So you might be doing some school visits, and obviously the students would go with testing. Is the student going to have to take the ACT or SAT? And is it once and done? Are they going to take it? You know, two or three times and prep and do the best they can. Uh, scholarships, what kind of scholarships are you going to pursue? You know, I had a family that did 40 scholarship applications and they won seven for $39,000. And that sounds great. Most people say, oh, I'd love to do that. Until you start really thinking about it is how long does it take to do 40 scholarship applications? You know, it wasn't some, it wasn't a Sunday afternoon. It was many Sunday afternoons, both the student and the parents working hard to get it done. Now, again, if it pays off $39,000, it's probably worth your time and effort. But that means you got to figure out what to do and how to do it and have enough time to actually get it done. And that's where most families I'm talking with don't do 40 scholarship applications because they don't have the time because they're they're still trying to get the visits done. They're still trying to figure out what school they want to go to. And usually time is one of the major constraints. Well, not only that, as a homeschool parent, we're still working on getting the curriculum done as well. So you have that, that added factor. Now I will speak from experience. I have twins and one has very clearly known what she wanted to do. She has researched and found the college that has the very specific program that she wants. And I'm not going to lie. It's a very high cost college. Now Mm -hmm. her twin sister, on the other hand, doesn't quite know what she was going to do, is very anxious about the idea of having to decide at 17 where she wants to go, then obviously thinking about the money and how she's going to use our money to get there. And, And what if she changes her mind? And so practically speaking, I can say, I'm grateful for the one that has a plan, but everyone knows 
the best laid plans can be derailed by so many things. I think that as a parent, it's super important to understand for our children that decisions can be made and decisions can be made with as much information as we have without putting pressure on our children to have this decision made that, you know, it feels like they're boxed in. And so I think sometimes as homeschool parents, like we're just trying to get our kids to like American literature and write the essays that we need. And so this idea of college does sneak up on us because we're focused on their learning and, Mm -hmm. And then, then specifically, you know, well, what is she good at? Or what is he good at? Where do I think he's going to go? So I have said to my daughter, you know, state school is probably a better option for you if you don't know what you want to do yet, because we don't necessarily need you to be spending high dollars, unlike your sister who has a very specific program. And it's funny because these are things that I don't think an average parent is necessarily processing as their children are working through their high school courses. Right. Absolutely. So. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there, but one thing is, I guess, first of all, and I don't know what the true statistics are, but, you know, maybe it's 50-50, maybe it's 60-40, whatever, but there is those, again, those students that are very focused and, you know, they've always wanted to be an engineer from the time they learned what they do, or they're very interested in computer science, or they're very interested in becoming an author or whatever it is. And then you've got those students that, well, today I want to be some, maybe biology sounds good. And the next day I want to be a lawyer. And the next day, well, that's back to the science. You know, both are right. I mean, there's nothing, it's just, it, you have to plan accordingly because of that. Um, that's the first thing. The other thing around homeschool is in the high schools, a lot of the counselors and that type of thing are starting to track students. In other words, they're saying, you know, they start talking to them and what do you think you're you're interested in and how well are you doing in math? And, oh, you're a computer science kind of kid. Well, we'll make sure you get, you know, all the computer courses that the high school offers and kind of verify and, and doing some of those things. And then they're also saying, well, what are the college requirements if you want to be an engineer, let's say? Well, you really should top out the math at the high school and physics and chemistry and, and all those things. And, and whereas if you're going more towards some liberal arts or writing or English or something like that, you know, then maybe you want to be topping out the, all the language courses, you know, the English courses or whatever it might be. Right. So they're kind of helping students lay out that curriculum. So in a homeschool situation, now parents are kind of responsible to pick up what that school counselor is doing. And again, a great example of, well, before you know it, they're going to be 16, 17, 18, and off to college. And you need to make sure you lay out that curriculum and know what the colleges require so that your homeschool provides it, right? They may want some form of a transcript. And certainly there's services out there that help generate transcripts and and that type of thing. Um, Some colleges will need some verification that they're college ready, especially as you get to the more competitive colleges. So then testing is probably important. You know, if you can do well on a the college test, the ACT or SAT, I think that takes makes a lot of colleges feel a little more comfortable that, you know, the student did learn their math or their various sciences. And certainly if they can pass the AP chemistry exam or those types of things, again, another indication that however they learned it, it they don't care, right? But they verify that they did actually learn it. 
And that's where I think some colleges are nervous. And of course, there's other colleges that are very homeschool friendly and they already have systems in place. So that's another thing that parents can start digging into is, you know, what types of colleges are we looking for? And at one, what academic level and how do we get prepared for those types of colleges? I was in my research, I found that there are colleges that actually have homeschool admission pages that they've created, um, Princeton being one of them. So there definitely are colleges that are now seeing with this influx of homeschool children looking for college entrance that they're making adaption so that parents can find the information that they need and say, okay, we don't have an AP science course, but you know, here is what we need to see from you. So love the internet, love that it's twofold. It can be very overwhelming. And unfortunately, sometimes Google does not give me the answers I'm looking for, but it was comforting to see that there are quite a few articles and things that will help homeschool parents see that there are very homeschool-friendly colleges. They have their own pages for homeschool admissions. So those types of things are out there for homeschool families. Right. Absolutely. And you know, my recommendation there would be to plug into people that have gone before, right? If you've got a, a 12-year-old and you know some homeschoolers that have 15-year-olds that are in the college process, you know, touch base with them every once in a while or or find those blogs where they they talk about that type of stuff. Because the other thing is it's a changing landscape, right? As, you know, there's the Montessori schools, there's homeschools, there's all these alternative education paths now. And colleges are embracing some of them because they've taken some of those students and they've been fantastic students. So they'll take more. Other times they've taken, you know, they've had bad experiences. And so that's the challenge that you're up against is from the college's side, Outside looking in, you know, they have to, you know, they're trying to make sure that the students they accept will be successful. And nobody wants to bring a student on and have them gone in a semester or two. And, you know, it's a lot of time and expense, obviously, for the family. And it doesn't work well for the college. They would much rather fill a seat where you show up and pay for four years instead of one. Um, Isn't that the truth? (laughs) Now, the other thing you mentioned, just to go back, is you said something along the lines of, well, this college is expensive and this college is not. Now, most families don't realize that colleges have a list price, but they also have what I would call a net price. So the typical private school, especially, might list, say, at all in 65000 So that would be tuition, room and board, books, fees, beer and pizza, the whole cost of a typical student going to that college. Now, most people don't pay 65000 That's where it starts. And then the colleges offer some scholarships, um, perhaps merit, perhaps need, perhaps both, that brings that price down. And sometimes it brings it down often to competitive with, a, with the state colleges. So in my neck of the woods, we've got Marquette. So Marquette, 65000 Compared to the local state school at 25000 that's a tough sell. And Marquette knows that. So for students that are strong enough to get into the stronger state schools, they know that they need to be within reason. So maybe they'll get the price down to 35,000 or 30,000 as compared to 25 or 28 at a state school or something like that. So now it's, you know, a few thousand more or maybe it's a few thousand less just depending on this, you know, what state you're in and that type of thing. But it's within reason, you know, again, most families aren't going to say, "Yeah, we'll play double just to go to Marquette." Um 
Now, and some families do actually do that. So there are people that pay more at Marquette too. And that's understanding that the top students at Marquette get the big scholarships and they, you know, they're a very reasonable cost. The average and below average students at Marquette, a lot of them are paying full price. So there's another market at a lot of these colleges where, you know, mom and dad are doctors and lawyers or whatever it might be. They make a good income and they're willing to pay the price in order to have their student go to a name brand school. You know, this is happening at a lot of kind of the mid-tier schools where, you know, Marquette or Tulane or, I mean, pick a school, University of Denver or whatever it might be, where the above average kid gets scholarship, the below average kid gets accepted but doesn't get a lot of aid. But if mom and dad are willing to borrow, mom and dad are willing to pay, you know, somehow get it covered or co-sign with the student, well, then the student can still go. It's just maybe not as wise. I always use the example of if you're giving up the lake home in order to pay for college, okay, I mean, that's your decision. But if you're destroying your own retirement or going in deep into debt to pay for college, then maybe you should, you know, think twice. Hey, podcast listener, Bookshark has a special offer just for you. Head to bookshark.com slash podcast dash five to request your $5 coupon that you can use on any purchase in the Bookshark store. Yep, anything. Again, that's bookshark.com slash podcast dash five. Don't forget the dash five. You can use your $5 off on a curriculum package, a hands-on kit, math, handwriting, spelling, or even a single book. It's up to you. So go to bookshark.com slash podcast dash five to get your $5 coupon. The $5 podcast listener coupon is limited to one per household, one coupon per order. Well, Brad, you created a very handy tool on your website that does kind of put into practice what you're saying about pricing per state. So do you want to go ahead and share that? Sure. So on my website is the net price of college by state. So you can log into the, or go just go to the website. There's a resources tab there where you can get the cost of colleges by state. And what it does is it lists, you know, most of the major colleges in the state and what their price was, but it also shows what the net price was for various incomes. So again, a hypothetical example, it might say like, well, here's that private school at 65,000, but the average family earning between zero and 25,000 paid on average 12,000 or 15,000 after all the aid that they received. Now, on the very low incomes, you're getting aid from the federal government, typically the state government and potentially the college themselves. So between all of those things, you know, substantial amounts come off of that list price. That same college in the 110,000 of income plus, so the high income might again be 35,000 on average. And if you look at the state schools and some states, the state schools do offer some scholarships or there might be a state scholarship program that's not from the college itself, but from the state where, you know, the sharp kids get 2000 or 3000 or 5000 off in that particular state um, or at that particular college. And so it's academic based, but then there's also a lot of need based programs in, in states again, where, 
even at the state school, it might list at 25,000 and the high income average 24,000, which kind of tells you that maybe there's not a lot of aid available to the high income. Um, and then it might be 10 or 12,000 or 4,000 or something re relatively low for the low income families. And that's, you know, I wouldn't say by design, but it kind of makes sense because what has happened is they've raised the prices on colleges until everybody says uncle, right? So paying 5,000 or $10,000 if your income is 25,000 or less is very challenging. Paying $40,000 for college when your income is between 110 and 150 is doable, but very challenging. So that they've kind of been raising prices um, but recently, when they raise the price, they also raise the scholarship. So the net cost of college is not going up nearly as fast as it used to be because they've kind of topped it out. Most families are finally saying, well, if it's going to be that much, we're just going to have to find a different option. And so colleges have realized that they've kind of you know, gotten to the top of where they can be. And there's less kids graduating each year now. So there's less students to for them to fight over. So um, so pricing and COVID has caused pricing to level out, at least for the last couple of years, whether or not it'll continue, we don't know, of course. Um, but that's part of the process as well. Well, finally, the people have spoken and somebody heard that right. we, exactly. we said enough is enough because I went to a private mid-level college and I, I think, I mean, I think if I, it's been a long time, but if I think back, it was probably like 12,000 a year and 20 years ago, that was quite a bit of money. Right. But right. now you tell people that and they're like, sign me up. That is, we can make right. that happen. So it, it's interesting when I did go on your site and look at that tool, I was, I was comforted to know that I wasn't necessarily having to rule out some schools for one of my daughters because of the price. And I think it's those type of tips that maybe homeschool parents know, maybe they don't, but it's worth looking into those um, types of resources to start getting a good idea of what is this cost and is it doable and how do we make it doable? Because I'm the type of mom that's going to sit there and do 40 scholarship applications to get seven that, you know, are potentially could be ours. Now, I do have to ask, and this is maybe shows my ignorance, but are most scholarships for four years? Do you have to reapply each year for a scholarship or is that just totally dependent case by case with scholarships? Right. Yeah. So. Another resource on my website, Scholarship Guide for Busy Parents, that answers some of these types of questions. But in general, if it's a scholarship from the college themselves, it's generally going to be a four-year type of offer where we'll get, you know, due to your academic standing, we're going to give you 15000 off each year. Now, because of that, though, they might have a rule that essentially says, but you got to maintain a 2.5 or a 3.5 GPA or whatever it might be. And, you know, I had a student get a full ride at a college to maintain the full ride. He had to maintain a 3.8 GPA. So again, cost is zero for the you know, zero tuition for four years, but he's got to really deliver and, and keep his grades up. Um, so there's that. And then, but if it's need-based again, based on the family's income and assets, we, you know, we feel you need a scholarship 
or grant of say 25,000. Now it if things stay the same financially, every year it should be about the same. So that's from the colleges themselves. Now there's other many other scholarship sources like the federal government and state governments where they're again their rules a lot of the, some of the state programs are very much freshman only and they're not a lot oftentimes like I know if you're the here in Wisconsin the top student at any particular high school gets twenty two two thousand two hundred and fifty dollars off a state school if that's where they go and if they choose to not go to the state school then the next person on the list gets there, you know, until they find someone that actually goes to the state school. But there's only one in a typical high school. Now, if your school is very large, there might be two or three. But again, that's just the top student. And that is a one-time award, but renewable. So it just depends on where the state budgets go. I know, again, way back in the day, I was actually given, uh, because I was a graduate of homeschool, I was I received a homeschool graduate um, grant for four years. So they were they recognized like, hey, good job. You're I guess there was just money set aside. And we're talking homeschool 20 plus years ago when it wasn't nearly as trendy. But my parents were incredibly grateful. They didn't even realize that that was an option. But when I went to talk to the admissions counselor at the college, they were like, hey, we want you to come. So let us help you find the money that you need. And so I think that once you figure out maybe where you want to go, it's very helpful to talk to become super good friends with the admissions department because they really are going to help you find what you need in order to be successful at their school. Right. And again, another good analogy would be, you know, similar to shopping at the department store, right? Where you go in and the t-shirt is $40, but by the time you use your coupons and your frequent this and all these different things, then the t-shirt is $15. Um, Or you just go to Walmart and don't play any of the games and just pay $15 for the t-shirt. Some of that is going on in the in the college as well, where many of the private schools, especially, and especially the ones that are not, you know, Harvard and Yale, they do things completely different than the the local smaller private school, where they may essentially give just about everybody, you know, twenty thousand dollars off. If if there's a need, if you have show a need, they'll give it to you. If you have merit, they'll give it to you. If you're homeschooled, they'll give it to you. If your parents are alumni, they'll give it to you. They're looking for a reason to give you that 20,000 off. So the first 20,000 is easy, but then to go much lower than that, now all of a sudden you need to show a stronger need or be strong academic or, you know, but just about anybody and everybody gets the first 20,000 as an example. So, you know, I've seen a a news story where, you know, this particular student won $2 million in scholarships. And when you dig into it, you realize he also applied to 145 schools. And if each school gave him 20,000 off, again, the easy scholarship, that's how he got to 2 million, right? Is 100 schools times $20,000 is $2 million. Um, And obviously he can only take one of those scholarships because each of those schools is saying this scholarship is usable at our institution. Um, You obviously can't take a a scholarship from Notre Dame and take it to Northwestern. That that doesn't work. Um, Yeah. So 
scholarships and understanding the pricing for a lot of families is kind of part of the learning process of, well, this is how it's going to be. Um, I recommend families and I believe now with there's enough tools out there that either you're working with someone like myself or just digging into it on your own, you can figure out about what colleges would cost, you know, now as like in your situation as junior year, you can price out those colleges that you're thinking about now and get a feel for what they might be. And then some parents would say, well, if this is likely where they're going to be, then we're not going to apply. Or what I would recommend and, you know, a plan would be to say, you know, tell your kids you're welcome to apply, but if these numbers come in like this, you can't go. So we need to find some alternative schools. I think what where families really blow themselves up is they don't know that that school is gonna gonna be really expensive, but they let the student fall in love with it, and the student doesn't have many other alternatives. And then at the end of the process, it's really hard to say no because there's not either there's not a lot of good alternatives. Or, you know, you feel like you're pulling the rug out from under your student and, you know, a lot of the education and what our kid, you know, there's nothing too good for our kids kind of attitude for most families, right? I mean, it's like, so I guess we'll just buckle, buckle under and pay the price. And you didn't see it coming. It's an impulse decision because, you you know, again, you've got a couple of weeks to make a decision and send in your deposits and you don't really have time to come up with the alternatives. Um, and I get calls like that every spring. With, we've got seniors where we're at the eleventh hour. What can we do? You know, all these colleges are so expensive, and they're saying we should borrow this money. And are there alternatives? And sometimes there's not. There's a, so, you know, planning ahead is important. Well, information is key, right? The more information we have, the better we can make decisions, and hopefully, we have partners that if one is up in the sky, pie in the sky with their ideas that nothing is too good for our children, the other partner is tethering them down saying, but realistically, you know, we're 55 and do need to retire at some point in our lives. And so I am always appreciative of our my idea of what our college, our children's college experience is so different from my husband's. I mean, he, I'm like, I don't want our kids to have any debt. And he's like, well, good luck because <laughs> I'm not going to give up my retirement, which I have worked hard for and, and really not out of selfishness, but also what are you demonstrating to your children in our scenario? He believes it's like, we don't show our kids that, you know, they didn't have to work for it. I had to work for it. And now it's just theirs. And in my experience, nobody asks me where I went to college. I have my degree. Nobody nobody wants to see my piece of paper. Nobody wants to see my transcripts. It's, you know, depending on what you choose to do, you don't necessarily need a high-cost college. You need the degree so that you can keep going forward, so that you can get the job, so that you can get the training that you need. But that would could probably be a whole nother podcast episode. So right. you do have one more tip for us, which I find fascinating. And it's kind of your hack for these families as they're starting to research some colleges. So what would what would be your tip for families as they're looking at schools for their children? Right. So when I'm working with families, I try and encourage them to really leverage their college visits. And there's, you know, colleges offer things that happen on weekends where it's a big event and 500 families show up and they have, and many colleges also say, you know, anybody shows up at 10 o'clock on any weekday, you'll get a tour and we'll, we'll talk to you. So 
obviously then you're you're missing work or or school or something like that. But there's all kinds of things to do there. And then, you know, so if you're starting early enough, just go do a couple of visits and just kick the tires and see what it's like. But then eventually we were, you know, that's visits 101. Just go do some stuff, check out some colleges. Visits 201, which is, well, now let's prepare before we go do a visit. Let's go to their website and read about scholarships so that when we're in the financial aid presentation, you know, we can grab the speaker at the end and say, no, tell me a little bit more about these scholarships I've been reading about. Because if you, again, go in cold and you say, well, do you have scholarships? They're going to say, yes, we do. And there's all kinds of information on the website. And, and they kind of shut you down, right? It's like, if you haven't bothered to look at the website yet, go look there first, then we'll talk. So if you're prepared and you've read all about the scholarships, maybe you printed off a couple pages and you've written some questions in the margins. Now you can ask questions that aren't on the website. And now you're getting information that's useful, that would be hard to gather any other way. Um, so colleges like to see that you're prepared, right? And, and that it demonstrates that you're truly interested, right? Because a lot of the people that are coming are never going to come actually be students there. So they don't want to spend a lot of time educating you about everything if they don't have to. So that, you know, again, so being prepared and, you know, planning out some visits and then just getting out there and doing it. So Certainly, you can do visits as a sophomore. Now, some kids are ready, some kids aren't. My, I have a sophomore at home. We're going to go to a, a Sunday event at the local college just so she can see a college and kick the tires. And she's the, one of those undecided type of kids. So she get exposed to a couple majors and maybe some careers that she hasn't thought of yet. So she can start thinking about it. And it's a kind of a low pressure, show up, spend a few hours you know, if we do it wrong or she needs to go back in a couple couple years when if she ultimately is serious about this college, then we can go back and do a, a, a true visit um, later on. Now, because I've had families where they do that road trip to Boston or someplace far away as their first visit. And then they realize after they get home, they visit a couple more colleges and they say, you know, our first visit, we didn't do it very well. <laughs> we didn't ask the right questions. Now we have to go back to Boston. Oh, that's, you know, that's a lot of work versus practice a couple here locally, see how it goes. And then if you didn't do those first ones that well, as you learn more, you can always go back and do them again without a lot of challenges. Well, I think that is a great life hack because again, I, as a parent who saw one school knew it wasn't for me, went to one more and was like, okay, that's it. I'm done. I didn't have the whole experience of touring colleges. My parents were not college graduates, so they didn't have that experience. And it's funny because you don't know what you don't know. So having these little tips and resources and tools for parents, again, either homeschool or just parents that have, you know, students that are looking and talking about college, I think it is super help, super helpful. So we will be linking um, Brad's website and his podcast in our show notes so that you guys can find his resources. And um, we hope that this little podcast and video was helpful. And if you were not thinking about college, we hope that you start thinking about it, but don't get overwhelmed and know that there is help out there for you. So Brad, thank you so much for being on today. Thank you for having me. Thank you guys for listening. Until next time. Bye-bye. <music> 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Homeschool Your Way, a podcast by Bookshark. Be sure to subscribe wherever you're listening now so you'll be notified of future episodes. And if you have questions you'd like the hosts to answer or have any feedback about the podcast, please visit bookshark.com podcast to leave your comments. Or you can simply email podcast at bookshark.com.